There was a great king on earth who had a philosophy. Hakuna Matata. Roughly translated, it means no worries. That's my philosophy too. Who gives a shit about a few measly mountains? <laughs> but Erase them. Bring in the talking rats to translate for the rap people. And we are giving all those beavers braces because they deserve it. Say it, Tick. Hakuna Matata. That's what I'm talking about. Podcast, the weekly pseudo-academic pop culture analysis roundtable with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-host, returning Hannah and Wayne. How's it going, guys? Good. No. How are you? I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> it was a long show last week by myself. Well, not by myself. It was with like, yeah, lots right. of people, but it was, it was a yeah, that was a tiring long show. And stressful <laughs> but fun if you haven't listened to that show go back and listen to the your black friend is tired show um from, from last week because i thought it was a really good conversation but it was heavy and tiring and mentally and emotionally exhausting so uh are we gonna do something fun this week i hope sure we'll try <laughs> what are we doing this week uh we're going to talk about minor characters characters that dig stuff minors that's got yes yes yeah yes. we're gonna talk about snow white and the seven dwarfs um <laughs> we're gonna, oh, i thought it was about underage characters we're also gonna, oh. <laughs> oh um okay uh no so um i originally pitched this idea uh partially because i was working on a dissertation chapter about charles dickens and he's famous for his minor characters He's unwieldy amount of minor characters. Uh, and I was thinking about how that shaped the plot. Don't worry. This is not an episode about Dickens. Uh, don't tune out. Um, God bless us, everyone. Okay. <laughs> tiny Einstein him. <laughs> but um, part of like the thing that's interesting is that uh, a lot of people tend to think about the form of a piece of media uh, connected to its main character. In fact, novel theorist George Lukacs like called something like the bi like the novel like a biographical form. And you see this with things like, you know, Jane Eyre, David Copperfield, Emma by Jane Austen, and even like more modern day stuff like Harry Potter, which we're just not gonna talk about. Um and <laughs> Artemis Fowl, which I guess we also are not going to talk about because Are you sad? Are you sad, Hannah? Disney ruined my okay, they did not ruin my <laughs> childhood, but they they just oh my gosh uh they, for context the new armis Fowl movie was released on disney plus um it is so bad it is the worst thing armis Fowl was like <laughs> the books i read when i was a kid my mom and i actually agreed on something and we read them together um i guess we can talk about that next week because it's like fairy cops but i was super into this series <laughs> and like they took out the main character who is actually a woman armis Fowl's not actually the main character in my opinion and they took away her story which was all about like feminism and gender issues and they made her story about her father which is barely a story and her parts i just I, was he a minor character because i just no, trying to get like, you back on track her, her mother <laughs> sorry her mother was actually like her motivation the book it's fine whatever okay i'm over it anyway 
Armis Fowl stupid, and we're talking about minor characters, which we can't do with Armis Fowl because it's a bad example. Uh, and by that, I mean like movie. Um, don't watch it. Let it die. <laughs> read <the book>. Yeah, <laughs> read the book. Uh, then come back next week, and we can talk about that. Um, but yeah, Wayne, you can get us back on track about what we might want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about again? I no, I, I had to introduce this idea, and I, I latched onto it. Uh, you introduced us a good while ago. We just get backed up with show ideas. And I, I, just for my, my own self, my own psychology, I've always been someone who is, I find myself more interested in a lot of the side characters and things I read or watch than I am the characters who are ostensibly the main characters. And I don't know why, uh, but I, I just, I find it fascinating. Like, here's the hero of something, but there are all the people around it who, who help make the story, contribute to the story. And I, I find that really interesting that we, we don't, focus on them in the narrative, but without them, the narrative wouldn't exist. Um, and in the, the call for comments, I mentioned just some, some literary thing. You know, Watson with Sherlock Holmes. People talk about Sherlock Holmes. It's Sherlock Holmes, but you know, it's Watson who tells all the stories. He's our window into that world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I think in many ways he is as much a main character as, as Holmes, but not perceived that way, I think, by a lot of people. I'd make the argument in Lord of the Rings that Sam is the main character, even though he's not the big hero. He doesn't get the focus, but I, I just, I, I guess, wanting to talk about why do we fall in love with these minor characters? You know, what purpose do they serve narratively? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what do they say about who we are as people? Um, you know, there's no daddies that we're all minor characters in other people's stories, and I, I think there's some truth to that as well. So maybe that's why we relate to them because mm-hmm. we we relate to the minor characters better than we can the big hero. And sometimes the minor characters take over literally, yeah. like Urkel or Fonzie. Well, we, we, yeah. we have to, yeah, we have to. Um, introduce our minor characters for this episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're the major characters. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we, invite, we invited guest stars. Yes. <laughs> I like to get that. Uh, so, yes. Return, yes. Yeah. Also, Actually, also appearing on this week's episode. And I think that both of them, you know, I don't think either of you count as minor characters because you've no. been here several times at this point. So, returning to the show, we have both Marone and Nicole, you know, two. I guess multiple time, long time guests. So, hey guys, welcome back. Hey, you glad to be here? Nice to be back. Yeah. So, you guys both seem to have some interest in this as well. Um, for for the listeners, you both have theater backgrounds as well. So, I think that which is not something any of us do primarily, but there's definitely a you know a, you know there are no small parts, only small act, you know kind of thing going on here yeah. as well. I would assume. Yeah, definitely. And I think when you're dealing with it from a theater perspective, uh, if we're if we're being textual before we get into production i think one of the greatest examples of minor characters being brought to the forefront is rosencrantz and gildenstern from hamlet mm-hmm. being the star char- the main characters of tom stoppard's rosencrantz and gildenstern are dead mm-hmm. and the whole concept of that play that was shattering when it came out is that they would take the two least important characters in shakespeare and bring them to the forefront have hamlet be the background character mm-hmm. in his own story i saw the movie adaptation of that i've never seen a, a live performance of it but i like the movie a lot and there's a few versions of it because if you there's a change brew is the rosencrantz and gildenstern set in a brewery in canada mm-hmm. so like there's there's echoes of rosencrantz and gildenstern and this concept of taking the main narrative upending it and saying okay what if the, what if our perspective goes through these people and then what's the reality of the narrative 
through them. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern also heavily influenced by Waiting for Godot. Mm-hmm. Their main characters, there's very few characters not played, but those characters are not important. And yet they're given this massive focus. Mm-hmm. Talking about, you know, theater production, the whole no small parts, only small actors, which is thing you do to give out something you say to early career actors to get them to do crap parts. <laughs> <laughs> could really... Yeah. Could really get in trouble for that, but I, I stand by it. <laughs> you, you have occasionally in large shows, you need fillers and you need extras. And I think mm-hmm. there was an HBO show about extras. Mm-hmm. And the, you have people who are there as actors, as characters to support the world, the main narrative. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you can't, as, as was said earlier, main narrative would fall apart without them. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's a pretty big discussion. It's a pretty big discussion. I don't want to monopolize. I, I mean, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern also, you know, heavily inspired Simone and Pumbaa from Lion King. Right. And I, I think that they're interesting. You know, the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, the Timon and Pumbaa, and then even like the Fonzie and the Urkel, you know, mm-hmm. in all those cases, I think there's two things that, that we can talk about. There's the minor characters that become the main character that are mm-hmm. fascinating enough that they, you know, they sort of take over the narrative. I mean, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead isn't just it's not just these characters are important. It's these characters have a whole story of their own. And let's explore that. And it's this whole story. And then there's other, you know, um, in um, uh, Shakespeare in Love, Judy Dench has she's nominated for an Oscar for the shortest amount of screen time ever. Like right. she's in like seven oh. minutes in the movie or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and like and got a best supporting actress. Um, she went. I think she was nominated. She might have won. I don't know. But like things like that, you know, people who are who so are, are so important to the piece that they, you know, that they they're, really they're are part of the story. Is the most like uh, in Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. Rio Pharrell, mm-hmm. like probably one of the best characters of the whole series. And he's in a few episodes of season one and a few scenes of the first book. We never see him again. And there were fan theories of trying to keep him alive. Yeah, of who he was or might have been. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like to play Lady Mormont, who is the most important character in that yeah. character. <laughs> Which, you know, actually, like the way Game of Thrones, the show was sold originally, I recall, was after the quote unquote big twist of Ned Stark being beheaded, like, well, your protagonist is gone. What happens? Which I think is probably an unfair characterization of what George R. Martin is trying to do. But, you know, that was an interesting concept where even like shows like, like Lost, which expanded its cast um, and made a lot of minor characters major by telling their backstories. That show still focused on Jack. Um, and he was mm. like the thing that anchored that show. Yeah. And if you're dealing with, with things like live entertainment, minor characters are still expensive. Those costumes mm-hmm. aren't cheap. Mm-hmm. Screen time isn't cheap. Moving a camera is half a day of union labor. Mm-hmm. Like where characterization fits in larger storytelling starts to be really important. And I think we're coming to a place because of long form storytelling. Long form storytelling, I think the two mediums that do it the best are serial serial tele, bingeable television and uh, comic books. Mm-hmm. And when it's bingeable television, you have the opportunity to bring people back or opportunity for people to become important and you know, someone who the costume fits them. Found yeah. out that they're good to work with. And okay, wouldn't you? But wouldn't you say though that uh, television, like bingeable serialized television, and comic books are really—and this is my Victorianist 
showing. Like, they're all, like, kind of, like, aberrations of the serial novel form that originated in the 18th and 19th century, which, you know, like, uh, Samuel Richardson wrote the longest novel in the history um, of the English language, Clarissa, which I have not read, and I will not read, because I don't have to. But, you know, <laughs> like, Dickens, if you try and adapt, like, Little Dorrit, 800-page Little Dorrit, it doesn't, mm. it does not work as a movie. The miniseries starring Claire Foy and um, Matthew McFadden um, like does work because it's like it's a TV show that mirrors the novel and can capture like all like 50 minor characters perhaps in a more abbreviated form than the novel but uh, you know it, it like you can't do Dickens's urban network city without those players bumping into each other and colliding and reacting. Mm-hmm. I agree with you I, I, I agree with you and but I think that I think this is actually goes back to the first episode of this I was ever on with uh, Nicole. I think it goes be- before the Victorians. I think it gets into the Greeks. Mm, I think yeah. if you start looking at the dramatizations of the Iliad and you start seeing stories of the Iliad being told long form and in repetition and in different versions of the same thing, where people walk in knowing the larger narrative that we're in and knowing this is a piece of story of the Trojan War. Mm-hmm. When we get into the novel and you know, Maul Flanders was something that was kind of an accident of we had the printing, you know, this is I'm, I'm stepping into your period. Oh, so correct me when I get these things wrong, because I'm primarily a theater historian. Uh, you have the you have enough of a literate population with enough enough uh, leisure time and you have mass printing. And then that gives you the ingredients of long form written narrative meant to be read as an individual. But the long form story with the repeat within the serial form began with the Greeks and I think was perf- is, is in its golden age today. Because today we have the ability to go longer. We have the ability to go in more depth. We have companies that are, this is a little yay capitalism. You have, you have situations where story could be funded in a really massive way that has no precedent. Yeah, persistent storage. Right, right. Like, I mean, like, we wouldn't have seen His Dark Materials miniseries even 10 years ago. Yeah. I, well, there was the movie and it was also horrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but like a mini, like, you know, I just the in, amount of like money uh, now being willing to like be invested in like prestige, even like fantasy, big budget TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also with serialized TV, and I think this is true in comics as well, that long form, and then this ties into the Oracle Ponzi phenomena as well, is characters have a chance to develop right. characters who weren't, uh, they weren't planned to be a main main focus but as time goes on the writers the audience responds to them or the writers find new potential in them in ways that you wouldn't if just here's a movie here's a novel i mean certainly in novels you writers find that characters just uh, mm-hmm. step up and speak i've had that happen myself characters who right. meant to play a secondary role just force their way into the narrative uh, i i was thinking sons of anarchy is a, a series i've watched and that was a case of uh the character chips who is I, i'm blanking on the actor's name um, Irish actor, um, which I'll come up with before this is over. Uh, Tommy Flanagan. Um, that was a case of he—he he was a random member of the motorcycle gang in the first season. He was there. He had some lines. By the end of the final season, he was one of the main surviving characters. And reading backstory on that, part of that just boiled down to he and Charlie Hunnam, the main character, developed this tremendous friendship off screen, mm-hmm. and and their chemistry translated on screen. 
So he just got more and more parts as he became friends with Charlie Hunnam. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, I don't think that was planned for his character initially at all, but we saw a very natural growth that wouldn't have happened had that been a movie or a single season or something like mm-hmm. that. I, I just, uh, cause we're all coming out of the first wave of a pandemic. We've all just done a lot of binging. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are we coming out of it? Mm-hmm. Sorry. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I mean, New York is better than it was. Uh, you're lucky. New York is still a shit show. <laughs> but like, I'm not hearing 24 seven sirens anymore. So I guess the sirens are not interrupting my binging. <laughs> I watched all of Banshee and mm. are you guys familiar? I've not watched it. I am familiar no. with it. You must. Mm-hmm. Okay. It is so good. And it is completely so. Um, my friends who recommended this, he described it to me as deep and dark, and complex, and all of the sex and violence was written by a fourteen-year-old boy. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that sounds like my first novel. <laughs> and it is like insanely good and complex, and you and people have these amazing backstories, and there's this intricacy in the storytelling. And then, like, because it was a Cinemax show, lots mm-hmm. of random sex. The violence, I can tell you, like, as a fight choreographer, looks like they gave their stunt and fight team an unlimited budget and told, do whatever the hell you want. Ooh. And But there's characters, it goes four seasons, mm-hmm. there's characters who become massively important look like in the first few episodes or the first season or two you look like they're about they're part of the background mm-hmm. look like part of the background they have nothing really going on they seem like just good stable people in the town and then suddenly they're the main love interest of the main character do you know if it was planned or not or you do you not know i don't know yet yeah. i'm gonna do a little bit of research yeah. well, um because my example so banshee uh, if i haven't watched it, i'm familiar with it banshee is it, it, it exists in this weird time period um when when cinemax was cinemax the company externally was they were tr- they were still trying to hang on to their you know their um their sort of um reputation as where the network was sex which wasn't doing so well anymore because people had the internet now and you can just get sex whenever you want so they were hanging on to that but they were also trying to enter the prestige format um like world you know but like then hbo the main channel was like no we're just gonna make game of thrones we can do this and and so they, they've eventually given that up um but the one that i um that i always point to where it was not planned was the reboot of Battlestar Galactica. Um, and in particular, the care, well, several characters, the most important of which is Kaylee, but all of the random, like Kaylee and several other um, members of the, of the mechanic crew in the hangar. Mm-hmm. Um, the only one who had a, the only person who was cast as the main cast in that, um, in the original uh, miniseries, was Aaron Douglas, who plays Chief Tyrell, um, who, by the way, is a really nice guy. I've met him at Comic Book Adventures. He's awesome. But anyway, Aaron Douglas, um, he's, you know, they, they first or second day of filming, um, since he is the only principal cast member talking to these guys, you know, everybody else is just, he sees everybody else as they're getting in their ship, you know, but for all the people around them are just extras. They just hired a bunch of extras and their names in the script were mechanic one, mechanic two, mechanic three, mechanic four. And, um, so Douglas decides, um, he just changed all of his lines. Um, so when they were filming, he would, he would sit there and he, he, cause he was hanging out with extras and he'd have lunch with them and everything because he wasn't with the main cast. So he gave every character on the, on the, you know, on the deck, on the flight deck, um, he gave them all names. And he's just, so anytime he had to refer to somebody, instead of, instead of saying, give me a rent, she'd say, Kaylee, give me a rent. 
and he did it consistently. And he he said their name on every single tape, realizing that if he did that, it would become part of the show and the casting directors would be forced to hire the same actors back to be, <laughs> to be extras because other for continuity, he just forced them. He's like, they had no takes where he didn't use their name. Um, so amazing. So, so I'm he, so glad he got away with that. Yeah. 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 And, 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 he, and that's the story. So, so he eventually, so he gets like basically these five or six extras to get work. And then as the series went on, they just gave them more and more to do because, you know, he, they were there mm-hmm. and, and, and that's how, that's how they all became, that's all they all became parts of the show. The other character on that show is Hilo, who becomes one of the, who becomes one of the main characters. And he's on, in the miniseries, he is, um, Boomer's, um, partner, um, when they are, when they're trying to escape from, um, from Caprica, because the rest of the ship is already there. And at the very end of the miniseries, um, he sacrifices himself so that she can, uh, so that she can get away. And then, um, the, and then the, the regular series starts and he's not on the first episode or two and people start writing in and they're like, so what happened to, um, what happened to Hilo? And the producers are like, what do you mean? What happened to Hilo? <laughs> he sacrificed himself. And they're like, no, no, he just said, you know, he's still on the planet. He helped her get away, but didn't get back to the ship. And they're like, oh, so then they had to go and find the actor. They had to hire him, hire him back. So if you actually watch for the first um, for the first five or six episodes of Galactica, where he's where once he starts appearing again, he's not interacting with anybody else of any consequence because they've all you know, they're all elsewhere. And those scenes were all shot later and just sort of inserted in because they're and you've got these scenes where it's like, you know, meanwhile, on Cylon occupied Caprica, it's just Hilo running through the jungle. <laughs> just, just to give him something to do. <laughs> and well, I think a lot of times with minor characters, I want to about comics because I think that's where we we want to go. I was thinking when when I saw this call, two things I thought of were Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead and Rocket Raccoon. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yes. And uh, Rocket Raccoon back in the day was this joke of a character who showed up in a couple things. If you he only was, knew who he was if you read the Marvel Universe Encyclopedia. Yeah, if, <laughs> if you had told me 30 years ago that Rocket Raccoon would make it to the big screen before Wonder Woman, I would have just laughed. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he appeared in an issue of The Hulk that, just for the record, nobody gave a shit about until the movie, and now it sells for crazy money. Mm-hmm. Um there was a four issue miniseries drawn by Mike Mignola of Hellboy fame. Mm-hmm. That, that was a lot of fun and it's Mike Mignola. So how bad can it be? But yeah, you know, nobody gave any thought to that character as anything. You yeah. serious. What I think like my theory of this and you know, I'm in a chat of literature scholars. So help me here <laughs> is that we like characters because of personality that's layered on them and with something like comic books you can take rocket raccoon was this unknown unknown factor and then bring it back and say this is the personality yeah there's, there's an alternate universe where spider-man's really boring yeah which they did in the comics that wasn't introduced in the movie uh they brought guardians of the galaxy back as, as a ongoing series uh, Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning were writing it, uh, mm-hmm. and they're the ones who brought Rocket Raccoon in. And the personality we see in the movie is really based on what they established in that that comics run. They're also the ones who brought Groot in. I mean, Groot was a giant monster from nineteen bad guy, bad guy uh, from you know, one issue of you know, Journey amazing, the Mystery, Journey, yeah, Journey Unknown. One, 
yeah, yeah. one of those mo- giant monster books that Marvel was doing in the late 50s. Uh, and I think he had one random appearance in a Hulk annual after that. And, and that was it. And like they bring these characters in um, that that phenomenon. I think that's part of my draw to, to secondary characters or, or tertiary characters is mm-hmm. you can bring in someone like Rocket Raccoon just to stay with that one. And nobody knows anything about them. And as a writer, you can do anything at that point. Like there's a certain for as many different versions of Batman as there are. If you're signed to write Batman, there's certain parameters that you're limited by. If if you're Grant Morrison, you decide, hey, I'm going to pitch an Animal Man series because nobody's read this character since 1963. You can suddenly do something that no one's ever thought of before. Uh, I think that that's what does it, because when we lose interest in characters is when they start acting out of character. Because I think of, uh, what is it, season four of Community or or like season four of The Boondock, when you're watching characters that you feel you know, Mm -hmm. they're not acting like themselves. And it's upsetting. Yeah. I, I definitely have never expressed any thoughts about that <laughs> ever before. I, I definitely did not just go on a rant about how I recognize any of those characters in a certain movie. <laughs> like, that's the thing. And like, that's why I, I completely agree with you. It's, it, it, you can't, if you're taking Rocket Raccoon back when it was this, back when it was a trivia character, you can't ruin, you can't ruin the raccoon. Mm-hmm. No, you can't. Yeah. You could totally fuck up Artemis Fowl. It sounds like they did, and I'm going to be sparing myself that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the only thing they kept from the book was a couple of out-of-context lines that therefore had no meaning. And if you've read the books, you know that dwarves can unhinge their jaw to, like, through dirt, and then they, like, mm-hmm. basically just fart it out. That is the thing they kept. So you, you have, there's these really disturbing shots of Josh Gad, who plays a giant dwarf, uh, unhinging his jaw. And anyway, not the point of this episode, but actually, if you want to talk about, thank you for that image. Uh, you want to talk about I minor mean, characters? I, I, Made major. I love the book as well. I love the book as well. Can't sleep. Josh Gad will eat me. (laughs) But minor characters, because they can be any minor characters, become major characters, and someone gives them a personality Mm -hmm. and brings them to the forefront. They can have an alternate. We have an alternate universe where the Guardians of the Galaxy movie stars Sprague the Living Hill. Yeah, Um, right. Yeah. And and, well, but I I, I think that I think you have yeah I I think you have a point though about the characters. You know, we're layering on a part of us that you know. What do I want? You know, that's not my Superman. That's not my Doctor Who. That's not my Batman. That's not my. You know, like that. You're layering on what you want this character to be, and the less of them there is, the more you can do with it, I suppose. Yeah, but I mean, I, and like mm-hmm. you're not you're not going against the archetype, right? Yeah, I mean, Batman's an archetype, and like the biggest departure from archetype in Batman is the '60s series, and that's kind of its own thing. Mm-hmm. Where if you're going to try to do a happy, friendly, fluffy Batman, it's not going to work. If you're mm-hmm. going to try to do a happy, friendly, fluffy minor character from DC that you know I'm having trouble thinking of because I don't have anything in front of me, <laughs> dumb bunny then, from Inferior Five, <laughs> or like you know if you take if you try to do a series of destruction from Sandman, you've seen so little of him mm-hmm. that can make him anything well, you just know he's kind of a happy giant well there was the the sandman presents series that were all here's really minor characters from the sandman mythos let's do a three-issue miniseries on them <laughs> uh you know the, the dead boy detectives you know like that, that they were they were capitalizing on the brand of sandman obviously uh, 
but still it, it was this this potential for, for these characters to to rise and then be more than what they were originally intended to be like I, all of lucifer yeah all of lucifer yeah yeah lucifer became a main character and, and then suddenly well i mean even to take sandman that's that's a comic but it's also something it's not a superhero comic it's a little different but arguably the most popular character from sandman is death and that's how she started mm-hmm yeah, I mean, she, she's not the major character. I mean, mm-hmm. she eventually is. And I mean, I, I still maintain that the best Sandman book he's not in Death High Cost of Living is the, the best thing from that entire part. But yeah, same thing. She is a minor character that becomes something, something more. Well, so then I guess we have to ask, what is it about those particular minor characters that become that, that lead to that? I mean, there's the minor characters mm-hmm. who are just there for for fun that are memorable but that don't necessarily develop. Them. But then, like you're saying, we have these other characters who become so major. So, what is it about those? Or do they have something that the main characters don't? Write? Yeah, what are they providing? Right? Like, mm-hmm. why, yeah, why are we drawn to them? Well, what, it, what what did Fonzie bring to Happy Days that made him the Fonzie? That's, that's exactly well, what's going Actually, like, yeah. well, you know, thing, I, I think that actually, like, Fonzie, Urkel, and, you know, some of the like some of those characters that are memorable that don't get developed uh, like I don't know and I'm sorry for this um to reference but like you know, someone like Miss Bates or one of like the minor characters in Jane Austen or one of the minor characters in Dick and they all have like little picks where you recognize them or they're good on the side but did Fonzie and Urkel like actually translate well once they became major characters um or were or did they become stuck in their archetype I think I think eventually they did. Yeah, eventually they did. Absolutely. When they did, they lose what drew, drew us to the beginning. Yeah. One good thing about Fonzie was Fonzie was magic. Mm-hmm. Well, he wasn't at first, though. Like when he first appears, he's not. When he first appears, and I think that's kind of that's kind of one of the things that happens, though, because he becomes magic, mm-hmm. and Urkel becomes like this genius. But like originally, both of them are one are intentionally one note filler characters. Like Fonzie Mark? isn't. He, he yeah. was, but Mork was Mork was brought in to be the star of his own spinoff. I mean, that was that was intentional. But like Fonzie was brought in because you know he was a he was a cheap parody of Brando. Like or or of a he was a Brando slash James Dean type. Yeah, you know, and that yeah. there was no thought put put into him. Yeah, he, he he was meant to represent the cliche. Yeah, yeah, and then you know he just kind of people hung on to him, but then he becomes like 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 Moreno was saying, he becomes this magical being who can snap his fingers and turn on a jukebox or make women fall in love with him or fix eventually anything. Like you, jump a shark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, jump a shark. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Literally jump a shark. Uh, Nicole, were you going to say something? Oh, I'm. Uh, well, I just. I mean, the the characters that sprung to my mind. I think it sort of reminds me of characters that are brought in to do a small arc, but then prove so wildly popular that they stay. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, like Tara Huffy. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but then you also have characters who who they keep coming back. I'm thinking of a show. Thinking of Leverage. Watch Leverage when it was on. No. <clears throat> if you're a gamer nerd, it's a fabulous show because it's basically like a D&D. Mm-hmm. Each person has their own their own class, right? Their specialty. And we band together to go complete these adventures, right? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, there are they're criminals-ish. Robin Hood, minor. Mm-hmm. But there are these two uh, FBI agents who they just were very, they, they were so funny the first time that they kept bringing them back 
just occasional. I mean, I want to say maybe like once a season, not not a whole lot, but it was just, okay. you know, and so you'd see these characters you'd be like, oh, my God, it's Taggart and, and, and McSweeten. Yay. Right. Um, or there's um, there's a book series that I read. Called Resident, mm-hmm. and We're finally getting another one this summer after six years. But there was a character that was introduced in like, I think it was book four or book five, um, who slowly now eventually has become a really empiric. And I mean, to the point where there are, I mean, there are t-shirts with his catchphrase on. I mean, that, that everybody loves butters. And, and it's like, what is it about him? And I think it's because he's the, when, the first time he's like really integral to, this, to the story. He is scared to death and he's honest about it. And he has trouble grappling with everything that's going on. So he's kind of the reader identification character. Like, how would we react if we were suddenly in this situation, right? Anyway, I don't. I don't really have a point. I don't no, know what else has. You bring an interesting you know, point because I think there's different ways in which minor characters become major mm-hmm. in novels, television, and comics. And what I'm seeing with comics is minor character becomes a major character when a writer, some clout, has an idea and is allowed to explore it. Yeah. And there's a million examples. Adam Warlock started as a minor, very minor character, got his own series the cult favorite became the center of the infinity shebang and then they mm-hmm. took the character away yeah. of course oh well, yes x-men it was that you know yeah. they, they were the least well-known marvel superheroes when they did the new x-men yeah, and then there was a while where there was more x-men books published in all of dc yeah and <laughs> but when i think in television part of a minor character becoming a major character is to be about the charisma of a specific actor in the role mm-hmm. and how well they work with everyone. I, I find myself getting attached to, to minor characters on TV and, and in comics. And I find myself wanting to know more about them and then getting angry or, or you know, upset when that doesn't happen for whatever reason. Although like sometimes I, oh, it goes wrong. Yeah, it, like here's this here's this character that I want more of. I the example I, I gave in the, the call for comments, I've been watching Westworld mm-hmm. and there's the character of Clementine who's been there from season one and just something about her, her demeanor, whatever, just I and backstory that they've created for this. I'm just I'm interested. I want to see more. And this most recent season, she's not there, she's not there, she's not there. And then there's the episode where she and this other character are brought back. I'm all excited. And she has a, a really violent five-minute fight scene. And then is never mentioned again. <laughs> it's like, what was the bloody point other than you want to give this actress a few bucks? <laughs> like, I, I mean, well, when you get into anything with on television, sometimes it's just someone's schedule didn't work. Right. And, and, and this could very well be a matter of they planned more for her and it ended up on the cutting room floor for whatever reason. Right. And everybody's like, you know, after we have six episodes and she's not there, I just like, oh, okay, they're, they're not dealing with that character. Fine. She's not the only one who's been written out. And they bring her in and it's like, oh, yay, she's back. Oh, she's gone again. Well, okay. <laughs> or sometimes it comes down to the editing. It comes down to, like, right. I once, I did a film once where they brought me in for, to choreograph a day of fight scene. I was paid very well for that day. And I worked the entire day. Then when the short came out, it was the, my work was in two seconds of a six minute short. I probably filmed good, you know, a day of film. If, if in a day of filming a fight scene, you get minutes of fight, that's really good. Mm. And I had over that much. So what they decided in the end was we're going to do is like the, the thing that I saw that after the final editing had very little in common with the script I read. 
Mm-hmm. So there's so many factors, so many factors. There's so many says I know like every actor will tell you about the amazing scene they did that was not in that was taken out in editing. Yeah. The whole thing sort of makes me laugh because you never know too sometimes what's going to happen with the comics that that the thing that you thought was going to be wasn't a big deal and later does. At at the Pop Culture Association, I'm I'm chair for the comics area. And mm-hmm. years ago, I want to say it was in maybe 2000 six or seven i'd have to look we were joking around at one at one conference and we came up with this ridiculous thing we were going to do a satire <laughs> panel and we called it the institute for corvax studies <laughs> and the whole thing became I, I knew about, where the story was going and, and, and the, the comics people know what that means and so the whole thing was about how corvac was really the center of the marvel universe and deserved all this study and we would make up these ridiculous uh paper titles like gosh, i'm trying to oh thor's hammer cap shield and iron uh and wonder man safari jacket three studies in overcompensation or, or things like this <laughs> uh, and we created a fake award that we would give to someone they didn't know it was coming we would make up a paper title for them and then they had to give a paper at the satire panel the next year <laughs> right and so the whole That's thing was great. just this 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 big joke right about how kind of poking fun at ourselves that we we focus in on these tiny characters or these tiny stories and 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 then the marvel movie star and yeah. then we got the collector shows up and i was just like oh my god if Corvac shows up <laughs> i am gonna get all and, these emails from people going hey i heard there was an institute yeah. for Corvac studies yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and Corvac was your major villain in oh, yeah. one one Jim Shooter story mm-hmm. arc that's referred to a lot. Mm-hmm. And he started out as mm-hmm. a random characterless villain in a Defenders annual. Mm-hmm. He was one of the Grandmaster's pawns yep. fighting the Defender. Mm-hmm. And, and Jim Shooter decided, I'm going to use this guy. Oh, the, the award was beautiful. It was it was like the Stanley Cup. You had to bring it back and pass it on the next year. It was <laughs> the top half of a Ken doll. <laughs> <laughs> That was attached basically into a box that had been spray painted gold uh, with that, the Corvac written on it. Because that's the original Corvac. Yep, it is. And and the same person got runner up every year. That was sort of. <laughs> <laughs> but then, I, you might with the comics thing. Like I, my favorite titles in the in the seventies as a kid, aside from X Men, which became a big thing and started out not such a big thing. I'm a fan of Defenders and the Champions more than I was the Avengers of the Justice League. Mm-hmm. And Defenders, the, the often the also rans. Yeah, yeah. The Defenders, I mean, the defining quality of the Defenders is like, here's the people nobody else wants on their team. Uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, but I I love that idea. And part of it just there was a freedom to that. The mm-hmm. the the writers didn't have to worry about what Nighthawk was doing in his own ongoing title every month because he didn't <laughs> have one. Um, whereas, you know, in the Avengers, it was like, oh, wait, what's Cap doing this month? I have to figure all that stuff right. out. And, and in Defenders, you could just have, you know, the elf with a gun shooting people and a mystic who gets turned into a goat-headed creature. You know, just it's completely absurd stuff. But it just, it felt so open to anything could happen because it didn't matter with these characters. And I, I kind of love that. I'm going to say the minor characters that become major characters, which I think is becoming the theme of this conversation. Are mm-hmm. when when an experiment succeeds 
Yeah. And an artist tries something with the character mm-hmm. and it catches on because I think if we start cataloging the failures, it'd go on forever. Yeah. And a year later, they'd have a Marvel movie because someone would have figured out, hey, we could use this raccoon and it's going to be <laughs> awesome. And there, there, there is sort of that theory that there are no bad characters if the right person comes around and finds or the right small concept. actors. Yeah, yeah. Or small I, actors. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that because we we like the characters because of their personality and the story they're in. We don't like Spider Man because he has a spider's powers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that's right. Interesting, but only goes so far. We like Spider Man because he's this perpetual underdog boy genius who is in this world where he's wisecracking who goes on adventures and, and also the worker struggle yeah. uh, then when we go through when we take if when these characters are written badly we get really angry the mm-hmm. amazing spider-man movie series for example um <laughs> yeah but uh you know i i think that like it's interesting that this conversation has uh mostly focused on you know long-form novels or series uh tv shows and comic books because there is that like wide expansive universe that you can play around with and we focus less so on movies um and and i guess like we've mentioned the marvel movies but that that's you know a that's series. also long form yeah, yeah. um there's like mm-hmm. are there any like one-off um not even like like series like Pirates of the Caribbean but like one-off movies where a minor character has stuck out to you or a short story is that to be a movie or a book book that's not a series Mm -hmm. you know something like short um yeah because I I, and then that's a really valid point because with all these long-form things minor characters have the opportunity to grow and change in a way they don't in a a two-hour movie Mm -hmm. Um, particularly with comics where where the creative team changes and and someone just changed their mind like mm -hmm. like Luke, Mm -hmm. Luke Cage is a big character today because frankly because Brian Michael Bendis grew up liking Luke Cage so once he worked for Marvel he just put him in literally everything he wrote yeah yeah. Like that, it was literally, I'm just dragging him. He's an Avenger now. And he's Jessica Jones's boyfriend. And he's this, just because that, I mean, that was yeah. literally, that was Bendis doing it by himself. But I'm trying to think about like, you know, there are certainly, I mean, Watson has a lot to do. Well, and there's yeah. several novels, but there's, he has a lot to do. Minor character. Yeah, he has too, yeah. too much to do. I'm thinking but, there's got to be, there's got to be I, things like, like Tiny Tim's of the world who. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to give an out. example from my childhood, the, the Howard Powell Robin Hood. Yeah, I read that in like third grade, fourth grade or whatever. And there's Robin Hood and, you know, you always love Robin Hood or whatever. My favorite character in the book back then was Will Scarlet. Mm-hmm. Uh, why? I don't know. He's one of, <laughs> he's one of, he's one of the merry men, you know, he, he has a long, if you look at the, the history of the Robin Hood folk tales or whatever, and the, the Morris dancers and all that stuff, Will Scarlet is, is a long-term part of that. Mm-hmm. But why was he my favorite character? Cause it's not like he was mentioned in the, Douglas Fairbank movies, you know. Well, uh, I mean, he has been since. But, yeah, he but, has been since. But yeah, but I, I don't know. But I, yeah, I, I, he's a minor cool name. That, yeah, for I part of it just I, I, my hair was much redder as a child, and he was described in that with red hair. And <laughs> in fourth grade, I was cast as Will Scarlet in the Robin Hood school play because <laughs> I had red. I mean, but but he was my favorite character before I was cast in that part. Um, so that just that's a personal example of. Here, here's one that I really dug, and I couldn't tell you why. 
So here, so basically, uh, I got one thing from that story, and that thing was that the role you were born to play was Will Scarlet. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, I I actually uh, found a old blog post I wrote, and I won't say where because I don't want anyone to read it. It's bad. Um, about how I like link in the show notes. <laughs> Yo, okay, go find no, it. Uh, no, go find it. I um, actually don't don't go dig up my old writing. There's there's a lot of interesting things that I wrote when I was in college. Um, one of them compared purity rings to alien abductions. Uh, anyway, um, I I'll just let you sit with that. Um, uh, I wrote this post about minor characters being sometimes more interesting than the major characters, and I used the example of Inception. Okay. And Josh and I rewatched it recently. Uh, and and you know, at this point, Josh is like a minor character on the show too much. Um, uh, but we watched Inception, and we realized as we watched it, one, Killian Murphy, um, plays the target, um, the guy whose mind they're going to invade, and he does a really good job with like what he's given um and he's a really good actor so i mean clearly we talked about like actors and their charisma being part of it but two uh killian murphy's character um because they're going into his mind and to like make the idea that they plant in his mind stick they have to convince uh, like they have to convince him like through emotion. So the character of Robert Fisher um, that Murphy plays is actually the only character besides Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Dom, who's the main character, who really gets any sort of backstory or character motivation beyond just like a couple of lines explaining why on earth they're all going along with this heist plan. So like... Which you just described my problem with that movie is I didn't know or care about anybody in that film. Right. So like the shape of the film and like the arc of like what action happens is all based on what is going on in Robert's mind. So if you don't buy into that kind of like father-son narrative, which is also kind of a pretty typical narrative, see Lost, like every character, they all have die issues. See also every <laughs> book in the world. Um, like it doesn't work. So anyway, well, I guess what I'm saying is that uh, Inception is really about this very minor character played by, at the time, an actor people did not know as well as almost literally anyone in the cast. Mm-hmm. I am looking through my Kindle books. I'm realizing that I read a lot of really obscure shit. (laughs) That's fine. We should all expand our minds. But like, I'm just looking at like, there's a science fiction writer in the 1950s who I really like, H. Beam Piper. And he thinks, he killed himself just before giant science fiction boom. And there's people in his like general fans think that he would be talking about him aside Asimov had he he lived. And mm-hmm. he has a lot of incredibly well-drawn characters. Is that the guy who did the, the fuzzies? Yeah, he did the fuzzies. I, okay, and, I, I knew the, the name rang a bell. I read those back in the day. Uh, and he did like these massive storylines that like all like they weren't a series but they all took place in the same future history and sometimes one would refer to an event that happened hundreds of years before on another planet in another book and his 
his general concept of what his characters are like and what they were doing, you could meet a character, a very short interaction with them on the journey of the main story and just feel really good about that character and never see them again and never have to. And I went through a phase when I was an undergrad, I was a double major in in English with a minor in dance. And as I think everyone on this panel knows, when you have an English degree, we'll expect you to have read every single book in the world. Yes. <laughs> so I went through a project of where I was going to read everything that I was embarrassed not to have read yet. <laughs> and like, I think this is an ongoing issue, like, you know, a PhD later and I'm still not there. Yeah. And I remember going through one of the differences and I'm glad we have like English PhDs here with us. One of the differences I noticed between American novels and European novels is in American novels, you're more likely to have disposable characters in European novels. You're more likely to see a minor character come back in some way. Hmm. Or if you read like Kerouac on the road, everyone is a one off. Well, that's everyone's, barely, everyone's a single that's barely a book. I love that book, yeah. but it's barely a book. Yeah. <laughs> but like everybody, you have, you have single. So, do we want to call? I, I feel like we're having terminology issues. Yeah. So are we talking about minor characters as they're in the background? We talk about minor characters as single-serving characters, and, and I think it's a little of both. Yeah, I mean, I mean, so so here's the thing: like, there's the line. Yeah, it, it. I don't. I don't know that. Uh, oh, so okay. If we take if we take Hamlet, our first example with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, mm. they're they're pure background. They, you know, they like they they serve a purpose, but not really. You know, you can remove them from the plot, and pretty much everything just happens in Hamlet. Uh, do they oh, do anything? They're there for a very specific. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, you can kind of gloss them, but people cut Hamlet a lot because Hamlet. But you know, they're they're there for. But if you're talking about you know back in the day Shakespeare time, mm -hmm. could have doubled characters, and whoever played Rosencrantz and Guildenstern could have played a bunch of other. They could have been the guards yeah. in the beginning. The guards right. in the beginning of Hamlet never need to see them again. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. One of the most famous lines in English literature. Mm -hmm. You never need to see them again. Well, so, I was okay. I once was an assistant fight choreographer for a production of Hamlet where when we got the duel, the character who played Osric was highly sexualized. Mm -hmm. You probably can't remember who Osric is because you don't need to. Osric <laughs> is the court functionary who is getting Hamlet ready, get, summoning Hamlet for the duel. Mm -hmm. There's a whole like exchange about why do you have your why don't you have your hat on? Mm -hmm. Why are you wearing your hat? Because it's a respect thing. The way that this particular production had it was Osric was the one who was poisoning the blade. Okay. And they had Osric, who was played by a young woman. And the poisoning of the blade was this extremely sexual moment where like it was a phallic symbol and no one missed what happened. Okay. So here's what I'm wondering. If you take so okay, so you take that. That's one extreme. That's that is a character who background in the original tech, you guys moved it to be a single function character, right? Like mm -hmm. you've sort of transformed it by adding to the part, right? It it was a single function character, but yeah. Okay. So I'm thinking the single function characters, even though it's two appearances, not just one, Boba Fett and Star Wars. Well, not in you know, in Empire and in and in Jedi, right? Yeah. Like Boba Fett, everybody loved Boba character. Fett, but he he is completely he's just a cool looking guy in a cool looking suit, but serves almost no function to the plot. He he yeah, pushes a cover and then he dies. Yeah, <laughs> that that's all he does in the, in those movies, and people remember him as being much cooler. But he's completely ineffectual in the in the actual 
extant text of of the of those original films. And then I'm, I'm sure that was about the toys. It, well, it was Lucas like yeah. he he always wanted to do more with them, and he just never got around to it. So. I, I mean, like I'm, I'm thinking of characters like that, but then there's also characters where, like, some of them, like, Fonz becomes important because of what you said before. Uh, Winkler is just a incredibly charismatic actor, and he made him into something. Um, one, another one I'm thinking of, I'm, I just put up a list of like the random minor characters. Um, the Jesus from the Big Lebowski, mm. you know, he he stills the show, but mostly just because the guy is entertaining. He's not supposed to be. And that's a one. That, well, there's actually been a sequel that nobody saw, but the, the original movie was just like, he's just a one off that was just there to to color, you know, the dude's world and say, hey, there are some interesting guys in, in, in the dude's world, and he's one of them. Like he's he's not he has no specific plot function. You watch a movie. Of yeah. Well, they made one. I haven't, and it's in my Netflix queue. Yeah, it's in my Netflix queue. I haven't watched it yet. I I know that um I know that it's very queer, and people who were big who who are big fans of the Big Lebowski um and but very you know the the dude bro fans of the Big Lebowski. I know a lot mm. of them didn't like it. <laughs> it's like I'm thinking about Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, Strike uh-huh. Back, mm-hmm. and that movie was universally panned. Yeah, and I think one of the reviews of it said everyone loves Han Solo and Chewbacca, but you would never give them their own movie. <laughs> Well, we did. Again, we I, did. And it I didn't mean, do that well. It was, I mean, it was painfully boring. Not, <laughs> I, I just can't believe you have such a charismatic cast and it goes so wrong. <laughs> well, yes, well, I, I mean, can. Also yeah. Writing and the big yeah, Lebowski. Well, yeah. One of the yeah. things I used to say about the Star Wars prequels mm-hmm. is that you managed to make Samuel L. Jackson look bad. <laughs> and like, at, I don't know what that took. Like, that's the man who made Snakes on a Plane work. I mean, Natalie Portman apparently had to have someone else vouch for her acting skills for her to get like roles after Star Wars because it was so bad. Yeah, like uh, just don't go watch the special. Just just as an aside, the Big Lebowski uh, spinoff slash sequel came out last year. Came out in 2019. It's called The Jesus Rolls, and uh, huh. John Turturro re- re- returns to the role. It currently has a 21 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Still higher than Armus Fowl, by the way. Um, yes, at a forty-five on Metacritic. Also um, higher than Armus Fowl. So I think yes. now the question becomes: with something like that, is what's the, like you know, in terms of form and function and story structure, is the are certain characters perfect as serving characters, and anything beyond that, like a Saturday Night Live sketch that goes on too long? <laughs> Maybe. I That's mean, cool to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there. There are novels like Kaju Ishiguro's Never Let Me Go that take the perspective of someone whose minor are disposable in society. And that works because there's a lot of internalization that's done on purpose. But mm. I, I mean, like, you know, this not there are plenty of things that work with flat characters as the main character. But if you want to break it down to the old flat round character thing, um, if one character is just vibrating on a frequency, one frequency uh, to borrow the enforcer's language, um, oh. like how long can you watch that? <laughs> and I, I agree. And I'm, I'm thinking about when you were saying that I was thinking about McSweeney's imagined monologue of one of the antelopes that's watching presentation of Simba in the Lion King. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and it's it's worth your time. It's a very short read, and I'll see if I could dig up the link. But there's this thing that came out a few years ago where someone wrote a monologue of someone coming to see Simba's birth, and though the king of the the king of the Danes summons everyone, and he's going like, "Yeah, I can't wait to tell my wife about this," but. <laughs> Bossa ate her. And <laughs> <laughs> like, we don't really hear from any of the antelope in, in the Lion King, but this was like this in depth, this is the internal monologue of this background drawing. And, like, you know, something else that gets really interesting about minor characters, uh, Bertolt Brecht wrote these additional scenes for Romeo and Juliet mm-hmm. or a couple other Shakespeare's. And they're basically the kitchen staff of the, of the manners plotting, plotting to overthrow the social order mm-hmm. going like, yes, the Montagues and the Capulets are having their useless struggle while we in the working class have to just wash more dishes. <laughs> and, and like, what's that do? What's that? And yeah, well, know, I, I, there's the old joke, you know, the people who work cafeteria on the Death Star. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's well, a big one. And like the thing in the in the in the um, Kevin Smith movies about the independent contractors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, to take Romeo and Juliet, though. So has um, and has anybody ever read the tragical history of Romeo and Juliet, or is it just me? No. Okay, that's the. That you. Yeah, that'd be the narrative poem that Shakespeare uh, adapted into Romeo and Juliet. Um, it, you know, because people don't realize it, but but William Shakespeare was basically the you know the the, the Kevin Feige of his day. He was just <laughs> he was making adaptations of stuff. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So, tragical history of Romeo and Romeo and Juliet is a poem uh, written by Arthur Brooke, and in it he tells the story of, of Romeo and Juliet, who are you know two teenage children of warring families who um, they're slightly older. I think they're like 18, 19 ish in the, in the, um, in the poem. And they meet at a party and fall in love and secretly court each other over a period of, I want to say 10 or 11 months. Um, it's like, it's not quite a year. Um, Shakespeare changed that because he was like, not enough drama, three days. Yeah. You know, like, and that, I mean, that's, that's really what he did. So, in, but it's, but it takes like a whole year in the original, in the original poem. And one of the things in that poem is when Rome, when Romeo first goes to um, a masked ball for dinner at the Capulet place, he is seated, you know, next to a bunch of strangers. He doesn't know any of them. And throughout the night, you know, they introduce themselves and one of them is named Mercutio. It is the only time Mercutio's name is mentioned in that poem. It is just he is a one off character that is mentioned in one line as and the dinner party includes, you know, Joe, Bob, Larry, Mercutio, Frank, and, you know, or whatever, whatever their names are. Shakespeare liked the name Mercutio and developed him into a significant, you know, frankly, single, you know, as Maron said, single function plot character. Single serving. Yeah, single serving. serving. Yeah, single serving plot character for the for the play that we all know. I mean, I would debate that he's a single. I, I would say he's a significant supporting character more than a minor character. Someone like Shakespeare, he also knew all his had close working relationships with all his actors. Mm-hmm. He may have thought like, hey, I really want to write this type of character and I want to write it for this dude. And let's use Mercutio and create the Mercutio character. His name was in the poem anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm still like I'm, I'm scrolling through my Kindle books. <laughs> I'm just seeing so many. I'm, just, I'm very curious, like what, what people I'm, I'm thinking a lot about the single serving characters versus their characters mm-hmm. like a single serving character 
come in, they do a thing and they've done the thing and it's there. And that's very <laughs> different from waitress. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or the bartender, which could become someone, but often is not mm-hmm. and like thinking of the example of Banshee. Um, and she recommended by the man who's going to be a guest on one of the upcoming episodes. But we were joking about this. We said like everyone. So the concept of the show for people who don't know and everyone should watch Banshee. It's insane and ridiculous is a ex-convict who like shows up at this town looking for his former lover and is there when someone who shows up to become sheriff gets killed. It's over the sheriff's identity and becomes sheriff of the town. Little town in the middle of Pennsylvania. And how everyone there is supermodel hot <laughs> like like we are in that's, pennsylvania that's all of pennsylvania <laughs> yeah I mean, obviously I, I, I lived there for two years and like i never got the whatever was in the water it wasn't on cmu's campus and everyone <laughs> after all, you left that's you know that, that, that's that's why we all look like this now and everyone's a ninja <laughs> like everyone is super hot and a ninja in this like little town in the middle of pennsylvania and have certain characters who in, in season one someone is like just the bartender someone's just the guard someone's just this like cop number three and some of them are some of them are backgrounds that have the potential to become something else mm-hmm. some of them become a major character four seasons later mm-hmm. and when is that the when is that hey they're on the set anyway let's give them a bigger role some of that i think we start to get into when is this the pragmatic to film or theater production mm-hmm. is the imagination of writers. If you're dealing with Rocket Raccoon, Rocket Raccoon is a piece of inter- intellectual property that falls under Marvel's umbrella. And I don't know their pitching process, but someone would have had to say, hey, I want to try telling this kind of story. Um, instead of creating something new, what if I go into the archives and take character which is which is more and more the pattern at marvel and dc all the time because of copyright issues yeah and i think that's the easier way to do yeah versus in on a on an ongoing production one who's showing up anyway with the staff realizes because there's certain shows where you can just tell people are having a fuck ton of fun yeah Mm -hmm. magicians lucifer magicians is another one for minor for single serving characters suddenly being mainstream gosh Josh, Josh is like the big, like, when did Josh become the savior of the universe? The magicians, like, you know, and I would venture because you could just can tell that they're having the best time of their life, that they were having the best time of their lives working on that show. Mm-hmm. And someone noticed, hey, it's actors good to work with here anyway what if we started doing this with them mm-hmm. and that's very different than digging into the archives for intellectual property yeah i mean it's, it's sort of yeah, because well one of them's a person i mean it's i think there's a i think there's a different motivation but i think it's functionally um so in here's that this, case here, yeah here's this pre-existing character that we knew nothing about let's do something with them or here's my friend who i want to work with so let's yeah. do something with them I, I think that in both cases what you had was like so the magicians i think which i i mean i don't know but i assume the actor who plays josh i assume it went down exactly how you said i know that's how it went down with galactica because i've seen douglas talk about it in interviews where he's just like yeah i you know we just wanted to work with our friends kevin smith writes entire movies around you know well what can i do what can i throw a part in here just to give my friend something to do or my kid something to do so i think there's that there's like a trying to you know have a party if you work in entertainment if you work in any kind of live entertainment sometimes the only way you get to see your friends is if you find ways to work with them right right yeah so 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 i totally get that right and then i think but i think 
the same thing happened with um the same thing happened with like say Luke Cage and uh when Bendis was writing him. It wasn't so much a friend, it was just a, you know, here's something I'm injured. you know, I've always something liked I like. this character. It's something I like instead of somebody. And unless somebody tells me no, I'm just gonna do this, right? Um and I think um there's a oh God, what's the Hawkeye story? You know, the when the at, at um who wrote the Avengers Disassembled, Wayne? That horrible No, that that, that was Bendis. That yeah. was Bendis. Yeah, yeah. And, and and Bendis actually I, said at some point I, he killed he kills Hawkeye off in this story because like he needed to sacrifice somebody so he kills Hawkeye essentially off panel um as a plot point and he he said I never asked anybody I just don't like Hawkeye so I killed him and and, and, and when Hawkeye was brought back it was obvious to me that he still didn't like him cuz I really yeah. hated the way he wrote the character <laughs> Uh, but yeah, but 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 even after that, he and, but he even said I did it because it was you know I did it because it was 2006 and I needed to kill somebody and he was convenient to kill and mm-hmm. if I tried to do it in 2009 they never would have let me because mm-hmm. yeah. Hawkeye was now the center of the of the cinematic universe. Yeah, so yeah. so I so I think a part of it's just you know, what do you want to do as a creator when the cre- when the creative staff isn't just one person you know when yeah. it, you know you, that happens things float around and I think also with like I, I'm thinking too about minor characters or single serving characters in story structure so so much of film is influenced by joseph campbell hero's journey Mm -hmm. like no one in anthropology takes him seriously (laughs) and there's certain steps in the hero's journey that are not like yoda is the step in the hero's journey Mm -hmm. yoda in the original trilogy we have him for this brief moment he fulfills his mentor role and then we never we only see his ghost once or twice Mm-hmm. Yoda's a minor character. People latched on to Yoda because Yoda is the old mentor and father sensei figure everyone wishes they had. And I think if we saw more of Yoda, we don't see Yoda making breakfast. <laughs> I think like when we see in the well, new new trilogy, when we see Luke milking the whatever whatever those things were, we thought we were going to see Luke become Yoda. Instead, we see Luke doing chores. Never saw Yoda do chores. One was going to vigorously disagree with me. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't, I guess Yoda did not do chores, but he definitely did the opposite of doing chores um, and, <laughs> and ate Luke's breakfast. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I think that maybe, I don't know. Star, Star Wars is a rabbit hole that I don't know if we should go down. <laughs> well, um, well, but I don't know if it's just Star Wars. I'm wondering yeah. if maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's not just Star Wars. Maybe the point here is that the power of the minor character is, we we talked about this briefly. Part of it's the mystique. If you know too much mm. about them, mm-hmm. then they become a specific individual. But if it, then, you know, then they become a main character. Yeah, right. If it's the if it's the if if the minor character is you know the Mary Sue that you wish you could put in the story. You know, like if you if the minor mm. character is just somebody where you're like, um, anything. Oh, okay. If you're if the minor character is Neville Longbottom, you know what's great about Neville Longbottom? Neville Longbottom is me being a schlub. I can be in the in the Harry Potter world and maybe do something useful eventually. That's the you know that's the dream. Awesome later. Yeah. If if the minor character is Wedge Antilles, Wedge Antilles Mm. from Star Wars. Oh my God. I could be a fighter pilot too. You yeah. know why? Because I don't know anything about Wedge and Tilly, so he's probably not any better than I am. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. if you read the expanded universe, 
universe, you know quite a lot about yeah. Gentilly's. But, but, um, but, 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 but that right, and then that sucks. The yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. that sucks. I don't want to read the well, expanded actually, universe. Yeah. I want to believe gonna... in this guy who shows up three times and, and, and lives. But, but that's the thing. People, <laughs> people will latch on to these characters and make them main characters. Yeah, right. when, when, you, it's good. when you have something like Star Wars that where there's been so much added onto it, everybody, you know, every minor character, every character in Star Wars is a minor character. And every character in Star Wars is a major character, depending on which book you read or game you play. You know? What about like John Wick? There's a few one-off fights in John Wick are amazing and specific. There's a point where John Wick fights a sumo wrestler. And you think about what it takes to create a sumo wrestler and the amount of training and resources to create that many rice and fish cakes and train someone to become that. And that is a few minutes of screen time. There's less screen time than Darth Maul. We're going to talk about <laughs> minor characters with, with massive impact. And you could go through that character's life, but instead it's like, this character is this obstacle in the hero's path and the hero cannot solve this problem the way they solve other problems because it's a sumo wrestler mm. and there are several fights that are like that and there's sort of the assumption that the sumo wrestler also has a story we're just not getting to see it mm-hmm. you know they have a story because like just who they physically are right applies a lifetime of training mm-hmm. My- my example for that would be the Coma Doof Warrior from, from Fury Road, Mad Max Fury Road. Um, for yeah. people who don't know, he's the guy with the flaming guitar. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. See, I think Dolph Lundgren and Johnny Mnemonic. <laughs> so, um, have we resolved anything? Yeah, I, I think yeah. we haven't resolved anything. Yeah. I, I do want to just give a shout out to one of my favorite minor characters in, in modern fiction. This is the extended Stephen King universe. Mm-hmm. There, there, there's in in his world. There's a character by the name of Andy Clutterbuck, who I believe oh, yeah. first appears in Cujo. Mm-hmm. And Andy's just like it's his first day on the job as deputy. And over the course of the next thirty years, any novel set in the area or Castle Rock area, we see Andy as a deputy, and then he becomes sheriff. And then, like, he's just like, we see his career. And then eventually he gets old and retires. There's never a story about Andy Clutterbuck. But Andy is there as part of the police force throughout Stephen King's career. Mm -hmm. And we see his his entire life. And he's never a main character. There's never a story about Andy. Uh, He's one of my my favorite minor characters because he he serves a purpose. Mm -hmm. So we should... uh, we yeah. should resolve to read more Stephen King. <laughs> Not it. I, yeah, I, I don't know that that's a good idea necessarily, but uh, <laughs> but I just in, he always when we talk about minor characters, he always comes to my mind of just as as a reader of that world and those novels. Yeah. You're reading along, is like, hey, it's Andy. How you doing? Oh, yeah. Like, it's an old friend. <laughs> So anyway, yes, we're, we're resolved. Nothing. Uh, we're all minor. We're all minor characters. Um, I'm just amazed we got through this entire episode without, cause I, 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 I had resolved myself to not take the conversation there, but I just assumed at some point the conversation would turn into talking about, uh, functional characters in, in comics, specifically women in refrigerators. <laughs> cause you know, the classic woman in a refrigerator. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's it, a, is separate a separate topic, topic, but yeah, but it is, but that is exactly what this is. Uh, um, now, the problem with those is like, they're usually not people's favorite, right? Like, yeah, um, like, right, right. Oh, sure, sure. And I think, but I think it's, I think it's, a diff- I think I was just thinking because the classic woman in a refrigerator is Alexandra DeWitt, but most people don't know her name because she was that mm. minor. Because Paul <laughs> yeah. gets no love and I am deeply yeah. offended, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
to spare you my rant. Yeah, def- definitely a different episode. But I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I I think I think they're interesting. I I think it. I think it's an interesting concept. I think it's okay to, as we say on so many episodes, like what you like. It's fine, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but. I, I do think it's fascinating that there are characters that so many people glom onto that they become something more like people. I don't think people remember how little the coma do warrior has to do with that movie. You know, there's mm-hmm. barely a plot to Fury Road at all in the first place. There's barely any character characterization and it's one of the best movies ever. Right. Um, and then like how little characters like Fonzie do in that first season, you know, and Urkel God just takes over that show after mm. being irrelevant, you know? So I don't know. I think it's an interesting concept. Yeah. <laughs> And, and I think everybody has those minor characters that they love. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm curious to know, you know, if you have thoughts on minor characters, please leave a comment and let us know what you think. Who did we miss? I'm sure people are going to be like, how come they didn't talk about, you know, so-and-so? And I'm like, well, there's only so much. <laughs> there's a lot of minor characters. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you're subtweeting someone right now. Yeah. No, no, literally, literally just everybody. Like it's, yeah. it's, those are the, those are the kinds of comments we get, and 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 I appreciate them. It's just that I I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I didn't think of it. <laughs> I we there are by definition more minor characters than major characters. Shirts. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, Officer Johansson on the bridge of the Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> I I wanted so much more out of Vincent Rowe and we didn't get it. <laughs> anyway, thank you to both of our guests, to Nicole and to Marone for joining us once again. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, thanks for coming back. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Pleasure. Uh, Nicole, anything you want to promote? Uh, the call for papers for uh, pop culture will be on August 1st. So a little yeah. early, but I, we're I, in, I, uh, we're in Boston I, next year. I'm just going to send you the one from last year since we didn't. That is absolutely fine. (laughs) (laughs) That might be what I do. I don't know. I have to think about it. (laughs) Marone, what about you? Uh, My audio drama podcast has had its soft launch. Mm -hmm. It's called Slippery Slope. Yep. And it is a near future dystopia. And I will send you the link. Mm-hmm. It'll be linked in the show notes. Uh, Palindrome Hannah. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Hannah Lee Rogers, but to be fair, there's like nothing on there. <laughs> and Wayne? Don't, don't bother. You know better. <laughs> <laughs> We're all like so active in indeed. Right. <laughs> I'm active on Twitter. Well, actually, Twitter you used to be more active on Twitter than I am, Hannah. But like, you, you just like you finished, and you're like, I'm done. The, the world has changed. I mean, yeah, like, I did, yeah, I've, that, yeah, that, 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 that's definitely a part of it. You know, things it, that I I would have been doing and promoting just aren't happening. There was anymore. a time when I would have live tweeted my displeasure with Armis Fowl line by line, but now this show is my <laughs> medium of communication. So. <laughs> Uh, well, speaking of the show, one of the exciting things, and I mentioned this last week on, on last week's show, but you guys weren't here. We are now on YouTube. You can follow the show on YouTube. So everybody, please go and like and subscribe to uh, to my YouTube channel, um, which is <laughs> hit that bell or whatever. All those things that people say are on YouTube. Yeah, that's that's us now. So go do that. <laughs> if we if we get nine hundred ninety four more likes, more followers, we might be able to monetize it. So oh, we're doing. So, you know, so we're, we're almost there. Yeah, nine, I think we're up to nine hundred eighty three more or something like that. We've awesome. Been, yeah. See? So we're doing, so yeah. Go go subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, that'll be linked in the show notes. Um, 
You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Maverick or on my personal blog at www.chrismaverick.com. You can follow the show on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or apparently YouTube. All the places, always at Box Popcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.boxpopcast.com where we post calls for comments to talk about whatever we're going to be talking about on next week's show. You can give us your thoughts. You can um, point us in the right directions of things you want to hear us discuss. And we appreciate it. If you like the show, and we certainly hope you do, please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or YouTube or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from. And do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes, especially. That helps other people find the show, especially if you don't just if you don't just rate the show, but you also leave a review. If you write a little something, something that just tells us what you like about the show, that helps magically and <laughs> and i don't really know or care how it works but it's important and it makes us feel good we've had a we've had a few of those coming in lately um so thank you and if you haven't written one yet we'd certainly appreciate it i would like to thank maximilian of botform music for our epic theme song building ever so more epically and playing us out i'd once again like to thank our guests for joining us thank you, like to thank you for listening and we'll see you next time bye see ya Hey.